0: Welcome to NSL Unscripted, a national security law podcast, brought to you by the National Security Law Department at the U.S. Army's The Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School. We bring you conversations and hot topics from NSL practitioners today, and hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back. I'm Major Keone Medici, a professor in the National Security Law Department. ADN, at the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School. We're excited to continue our Outstanding Professional Development series to our listeners in this second part of our series. We're going to hear from Colonel Pete Hayden, U.S. Cybercom Staff Judge Advocate, an esteemed National Security Law Practitioner, and hear his thoughts on pursuing NSL assignments Sir, open up and tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. Hey, first of all,
1: Keone, I, I really want to thank you guys for having me here. This is a privilege. It's, first of all, it's always great to come back to the Legal Center in school. This is, uh, when they call it the regimental home, it, it really feels like that whenever you get a chance to come back. And second, I, I appreciate you taking the time to do this and to, to run through this. I've had, a, I've had a really, I've been blessed and privileged, and I'm extremely grateful to the JAG Corps for a, what's amounted to an extremely fulfilling career. And right now, I'm assigned as the staff judge advocate to U.S. Cyber Command. Cyber Command is a joint command; it's one of the ten unified commands. Um, the commander is General Paul Nakasone, and our mission is to direct, synchronize, and coordinate cyberspace planning and operations to defend and advance national interests in collaboration with domestic and international partners. That's what we do, and uh, we have three lines of effort that we that our command pursues. The first is to defend the DOD information networks from cyber attack to make sure that all the components of DOD can talk to each other securely and reliably. The second mission, of course, is to be prepared to conduct cyber operations to achieve the objectives of other combatant commanders like CENTCOM and UCOM and INDOPACOM and TRANSCOM. And then our third mission, the third aspect of our mission is to defend the nation from cyber attack. In when directed by the president. And this comes in, uh, it's an extremely important mission. It's the strategic worry of cyberspace that we, uh, we're prepared to do things like defend our elections or to surge against ransomware. And so we have those three missions. And I lead a team of about 18 uh, joint professional attorneys and paralegals. And we make sure that all of Cybercom's operations are consistent with the rule of law. It's an incredibly fascinating and
0: rewarding job. It does sound fascinating, sir. And, and based upon what I read in the news, it's definitely um, a busy job uh, in our current security environment. Uh, so, based on that, sir, you know you you've reached uh, a pinnacle there within the NSL world of of achieving um, assignment at one of our uh, unified combatant commands, especially with uh, such a focused and significant mission to our nation's uh, defense. What's one message you have for judge advocates out there um, about pursuing NSL opportunities?
1: Well, I've, I've been, as I said, I've been blessed with a career that allows me to be fairly focused on NSL, but not exclusively so. You know, it's, it's very much representative of the JAG Corps' career model of expert and versatile. And I guess I guess the thing is, we had a question, we were wondering if there's a pinnacle job or one key job in NSL. And and the fact is there isn't. There's a lot of great jobs, a lot of great assignments, a lot of great memories, a lot of great moments that uh, that I've been able to have. And my career path has looked pretty much nothing like, say, Colonel Widmars or Colonel Khalees or Colonel Anderson. The other the other combatant command judge advocates who happen to also be from the Army, we all come from very different career paths. There's no magic bullet. And we've all had assignments, I think you'll find, that take us out of NSL. And, and when you're a young lawyer and you're scratching your head saying, I've finally mastered cyber law, why would you take me out of that? Why would, why would PP&TO not put me into another cyber job? Well, it's because there's, there's other skills that are necessary to be ready to advise a strategic leader at this level. And it may be frustrating, but pretty soon the light goes on in your head and you're like, oh, this is why I'm here. This is what I can do. And it builds expertise in employment law or investigations or ethics. And then you come back to your realm of expertise and you advance yourself even further. And I, I have to say, that's, that's how I wound up here.
0: So, sir, to that, how important is it for national security law um, attorneys, judge advocates, to pursue joint service billets? Well, it's interesting you ask. So
1: one of my first jobs as a, quote, national security lawyer, we called it op law back then, was as an observer controller at the Joint Readiness Training Center. And back then, our jobs weren't necessarily joint. I mean, we had Army Judge Advocates, as Combatant Command, SJAs, but that really wasn't on the radar screen for most judge advocates. And so I had a boss who, uh major Paul Wilson at the time, who told me to go looking for a continuing legal education. And because I'd already been to the course at the school for OPLOAC, uh, the Operational Law of Armed Conflict course, he said, go find something else. And so I found a, just on a whim, I found a, a course, the Indo PACOM Legal Conference, or it was called the PACOM Legal Conference at the time. And I never thought they'd send me to Hawaii. Major Wilson was like, yeah, sure. we'll I'll, I'll advocate for it and I'll send you to Hawaii from Fort Polk, Louisiana. Take your wife. So we went to Hawaii for a week and I heard the, the PACOM SJA talk about the operations in East Timor and the light went on. I was a four-year captain at that point. This is what I want to do. And so I started asking my mentors, how do I get into the joint world? That's, that's the moment. You know, at the Worldwide CLE, they talked about the importance of moments. Paul Wilson created a moment for me that illuminated what I want to do. And I think that's our job as leaders, to do that for others. Do I think joint work is important? Absolutely. It's very broadening. It's helpful. I've had several joint jobs. I've had several service jobs. I don't know that it's crucial, but I do think that in the joint world, you're exposed to the interagency and you're more often than not exposed to uh, international counterparts. And so I think you get an opportunity to practice more of the hard law in the joint world. Um, but that's not to say that the service i mean the service is equally important you know the i c r c ought to be talking to the services about training and enforcing the law of armed conflict so all all aspects are are part of a fulfilling career in n s l
0: now as far as your jobs um, within uh the national security law uh practice area, what's been your favorite and why did you like it so much, sir? <laughs>
1: Okay, I'm my favorite. I'm going to beg off on that question. I'm going to do. I'm going to do what what an interviewer hates. Um, I won't say favorite because I've enjoyed all my jobs. I even those that I wasn't happy about getting landed in at the time that I went there. Every client's important, and every job has been rewarding. For, you know, whether it's a an, an observer controller at the Joint Readiness Training Center, a professor at, at Newport, uh, Chairman's Legal, or or the National Security Council, they've all been fascinating. I will say um, the most important job, perhaps, developing my practice was one that I absolutely was not happy to get assigned to. And it was a very self-centered and myopic view of what I thought that JAG Corps was doing to me. So when I was a professor at, at Newport, I got, a, I got a call from my assignments officer, and he told me I was going to be assigned to the Multinational Security Transition Command, Iraq. I was going to be the deputy SJA for this. I didn't even know what that was. What he told me was, it was I was going to be a deputy S.J. in an office of five people that I had never heard of in Iraq. All the cool kids were going to Afghanistan. Now that was the new surge in two thousand nine. But I nodded and I went to Minstickey, and I was the deputy S.J. of this assignment. Minstickey was the train, advise, and equip command for training, advising, and assisting and equipping the Iraqi security forces. And so when I got there, I jumped into it like you always do in a new job. Um, and I, sure enough, against all my expectations and my, you know, my, my puffed up self-importance, um, I found it fascinating. You know, it was security cooperation. It was the kind of law that I had never thought about. And, and when I got there, we were transitioning millions of dollars of equipment to the Iraqi army. But nobody had ever asked the question, what's our legal authority to provide military equipment and training to the Iraqi security forces in the first place without export licenses under the Arms Export Control Act? And for the most part, the command, you know, when you're in a command, they just want to go. They just want to move. They want to move the meat. But nobody ever really asked that arcane legal question except for this one lawyer at a partner agency who had an equity in a specialized piece of equipment. A gonculator. Let's call it. And he kept refusing year after year to disallow the transfer of that gonculator, that magic piece of equipment that does something special, because we couldn't demonstrate that we had an export license for that particular piece of equipment. And nobody had ever looked at the law behind what we were doing and why we didn't need an export license. And so working with, you know, then Jay Nelson, Major Jay Nelson, and Colonel Herb Ford, we figured out, okay. By the way, this is the legal basis for our entire operation that we had forgotten about. Institutionally, we'd forgotten about for six years. And with that, we were able to satisfy that lawyer from that partner agency that we didn't need an export license and the command was finally allowed to transfer that piece of equipment because we went into the Arms Export Control Act and figured out what the authorization was. That knowledge and understanding the legal basis for our entire organization's mission became even more important three months later when we closed down Minstiki and it became the Office of Security Cooperation for Iraq under the embassy control. Because the embassy attorneys wanted to know, how are we going to continue to do this mission at the scale that we're doing it? My point is this, it's a job that I didn't think was important until I got there. When I got there, we asked the question, why are we allowed to do this? What's the law behind the very existence of our command? If you can be the lawyer who knows the law behind the very existence of your organization and how it works, you're the lawyer who can help your commander achieve the objectives they really want and not just follow the rules in front of them. That's why I thought that was the most, probably the most important job to my development as a national security law attorney.
0: What specific non-national security law jobs are? Uh, have helped you achieve your professional and personal objectives. Oh wow that's a great question.
1: Well first of all being being pulled away from the national security world I was very happy as a national security attorney in several different jobs. When you get pulled away to be a, a leader or a manager, once again not something that you think you want to do in the moment, but when you get pulled away to be a leader and a manager and you appreciate what it takes to build an organization, to staff an organization, to manage personalities. I couldn't do the job I'm doing now unless I knew how to get authorizations and billets filled and, and, and talk to those who own the attorneys that I need to fill my billets. I couldn't do my job if I hadn't at least touched employment law or ethics or contracts. I mean, I just, you, can't, you can't be a COCOM SJA, even in cyber, which is very specialized, unless you've, unless you've got these other skill sets. It's funny, to, to get back to my point about learning the law, I often reflect on my time in TDS as foundational to always going back to learning the law, not just the exord order the frago, because every TDS attorney, and I'm sure this is also true of the appellate divisions, knows you have to know the law because the facts are usually not on your side.
0: So based on those experiences, sir, and, and sort of looking um, at those jobs outside of the NSL as formative uh, to your experiences, Uh, thinking of that younger judge advocate population who wants to pursue the path of uh, Colonel Hayden, end up at U.S. Cyber Command after um, working um, at at joint uh, positions and and in ever-increasing positions of uh, supervisory responsibility. Uh, What advice do you have for them? For those conversations with personnel plans and training office, uh, with their uh, career coaches, um, pursuing mentors. It's kind of a big question, sir. Yeah. Uh, But um, I figured you'll tackle it pretty well.
1: (laughs) Well, I'll say a couple things. Um, Number one, obviously, you need to let your preferences be known, right? If I made it very clear from the time that, Paul Wilson gave me that opportunity to learn about about, uh, about joint work. I made it very clear that I wanted to do it someday. I wanted to be on a COCOM staff. I, I was never so bold as to say I wanted to be a COCOM SJA. Just over time, I aged into that's the only job that was available that I was still competing for. But I always wanted to be on a COCOM staff, and I made that clear. And so I would tell my mentors. I would tell my leaders that, you know, in, in conversations. That's what I wanted to do someday. I think it's important to let your, your mentors know what you're thinking. I, I don't know. It's not fair to ask a mentor to lobby for you, right? That's It's not fair to place that burden on your mentor. But they can counsel you. And, of course, they can certainly serve as your references and your advocates if they feel that it's merited. But they can't do that unless your mentors and your leaders know what you're thinking. And so that's really important. And so my mentors would do things or my My supervisors would put joint jobs down among the three jobs at the bottom of my OER. So that there was some paper record that this is what I wanted to do. Similarly, they would mention cyber after I'd been a chairman's legal and been exposed to cyber law. In my later career, I would ask my mentors to do that. So letting your preferences be known is important. Number two is, as I said, as I learned the hard way, chopping the wood in front of you is what one career manager told me. Uh, you know, and when I was at JRTC for the second time as an OC, I was a little dismayed about being sent back to do basically the senior version of the same job. But my career manager, I actually called him at one point point. you know, you have those low moments in your career where you're thinking, you know, is the Jaguar done with me? And I called him. I said, Hey, Colonel O'Brien, am I done? He's like, what? Who are you again? What's your name? No, you're not done. Just chop the wood in front of you and do it well. And, he, you know, truer words were never spoken. So it was, you know, it was once again a hard job at Joint Readiness Training Center, being an observer controller. But uh, but you do your job, you serve the client in front of you to the best you can, and the rewards pay off.
0: What tips do you have for navigating the assignment cycle, sir? You've had some glorious assignments. I hear a repeat offender at Fort Polk at the Joint Readiness Training Center about those engagements, um, about Flushing out that information with PPTO yeah
1: um, So obviously letting your SJ and your deputy know what you what you'd like to do because they're they're always just they're often better advocates for you Than you can be uh, than you realize they can be for yourself um, Being open and open to what? Ideas the Jag Corps has for you as I mentioned sometimes the Jag Corps knows better than I do What else they needed to grow me into the person I would become You still need to let your preferences be known. That's absolutely true. But um, the other thing is, if there's a path or a specific skill, right, it's making sure that everybody knows that, right, that I've been exposed to cyber or that I've been exposed to contract or fiscal law acquisition. Some of these extra skills that may not be readily apparent, it's important to make sure that your mentors and your supervisors know about it, even because... Just because you're working for one guy now at the 3rd Infantry Division doesn't mean that that SJA knows that you have a background in cyber law or that you have a background in contract law. That's also important uh, as you navigate this.
0: So to close out, sir, our final question and building out on on those opportunities uh, to really broaden. So you're the young judge advocate who's got the NSL job now. Mm -hmm. What advice Based on your experience, do you have for them about excelling in their job um, or, you know, if, if they were to so happen, uh, get uh, one of those non-NLCL jobs that you had talked about, sir? Yeah. So
1: it's that your the clients in front of you, the client in front of you is always the most important client you have. And your job, everybody's job is to be the best lawyer you can be. So, what does that mean? That means mastering the law. I mean, it sounds corny to go back to one of our four constants, but that's exactly why it's one of our constants is to be the best lawyer you can be and to give the counsel that you can to the client in front of you. as a matter of fact, this actually came up when I interviewed uh, I interviewed for the National Security Council job, and the legal advisor for the National Security Council said he asked me some esoteric question about cyber law from my assignment at Chairman's Legal. 6 years prior. And I I told him that I could I gave him what information I could remember from 6 years ago. But then I said, you know, just to be honest, sir, um my client right now is facing, you know, sexual misconduct of a senior leader in the division and we've got a contract problem with building a bridge over a highway on my installation. So that's that's what's foremost on my mind and i'm not really up on my cyber law or or these other areas i prepped for the interview but I, you can't prep about everything and he later told me he was like that was one of the things that we appreciated about your interview is that you acknowledged that the client in front of you was the most important thing it was good to hear
0: i think that's a great reminder sir uh for especially those uh junior judge advocates of of what comes first uh in your practice area before their own interests to close out, sir? Any, any parting words? I do have one other, th- one other thing I'll
1: note. Um, several, several opportunities that have really informed my career have been, they've involved interviews. I've had to interview for several of these jobs. And that happens a lot. And after five to six of these interviews, I've noticed there's always one question I get and i'm not i'm not suggesting anybody do this if it's not what you do normally but one of general Petey's former tjags things was hey read read books and i bring that up because i've been asked six times now by people who are interviewing me for jobs what are you reading so you know i i told general Ayers right one time i was reading a book about ulysses s grant just happened to be. And of course, that struck up a conversation with General Ayers, and he remembered me, and he moved me into an important job, or what I viewed as a very important and fulfilling job because of it. You know, General Nakasone asked me what I was reading when I interviewed for the CyberCon job. I told him I was you know, reading a biography of the Dean of Howard Law School, and he's like, okay, how does that apply? And I talked about building cadres of talented attorneys. Don't miss my point. I'm not, I'm not saying, look at what I've been reading, aren't I? Cool. What I'm saying is that Senior leaders for whom I've worked, who were influential in my assignment history, were interested in, number one, that I was reading, two, what I was reading, and three, how I was engaging with the reading, tying lessons together with other readings, news, facts. It's, it almost seems like a shorthand way for senior leaders to see if you're an intellectually curious and engaging person. It's a way to test you. And so if you're a reader, what I tell you is read and be prepared to talk about the amazing things that you're reading. It's a good way of showing, it's a good way of broadening your mind and it's a good way for others to know
0: that you're broadening your
1: mind and learning
0: about the world around you. So those are some outstanding parting comments. I really appreciate them and I appreciate your time, sir. Uh, I've been following along and, uh, and this is really uh, spoken to um, a lot of things that I consider uh, for my own career path, and I'm sure will be useful, especially for those younger judge advocates coming out of the basic course, uh, looking around and seeing uh, really what are um, some of the most meaningful and purposeful uh, jobs around. So we thank you for your time, sir, um, and uh, look forward to uh, you know, engaging with you in the future.
1: Well, thanks for having me down, and uh, let me know if you're going to be applying for a job at Cybercom anytime soon.
0: This episode of NSL Unscripted was brought to you by the National Security Law Department at the U.S. Army's, the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School. The views presented are those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or its components, the Department of the Army or the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School. Our department also produces the Operational Law Handbook accessible online. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and look forward to future episodes for NSL practitioners. Thank you.